Welcome back everyone to episode 4 of Making Waves, our preview series for the Women's World Cup this year. And we're splitting groups A and B into their own separate episodes because we think there's going to be a bumper pod for group B focusing on the Matildas. But that's not in this one. You're here because you want to hear about New Zealand and the rest of group A. We've lined up Anna Green, former football fern, to take us through the Kiwis, how they stack up for this tournament and some of their opponents as well. Yeah, we'll also be covering Norway, Philippines and Switzerland. Should be a lot of fun. Indeed, and let's make waves. And joining us on this episode of Making Waves and our Women's World Cup preview is football fern legend with 82 caps, Anna Green. Anna, welcome to Making Waves and the Backpack. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So Anna, recently retired from international football. You've spent a bit of time with the football ferns in, in over the last six to nine months. What is your take currently on the preparations going into this uh, Women's World Cup? Yeah, it's a super interesting time for football in New Zealand, I think. And in terms of the preparation for the World Cup, they've definitely had like quite a comprehensive program. I think the results aren't necessarily what the team's been after. Thank goodness they won the game a couple of days ago. So they've just had their most recent, um, their last sort of open um, game um, before the World Cup. So they played uh, Vietnam on mm. Monday night and won which I think was just whoever thought about that fixture it was an absolute masterstroke it's definitely something that the girls needed and um, they've got I think a closed game on Friday so it's been that win was needed it's been a really tough build up for the girls I think in terms of results wise the pressure's been on I think this is the most home games we've had in a long time and particularly the um I'm not sure what it was called, the Cup of Nations. I feel like every second tournament is called the Cup of Nations <laughs> at the minute. But they had the games against um, Portugal and Argentina in New Zealand earlier in the year. And that definitely um, was really tough for the girls. You know, I think um, if we're looking at results over the last nine months, they've not been what the team was after. But we hadn't really had that scrutiny from the media and from the home fans. Whereas that those couple of games really brought that home. And I think... Um, wasn't the performance the team was after. So, yeah, in terms of the build-up, masterstroke against Vietnam, super glad that they got the win and can go into the tournament on a positive. I think that's really going to be a dry run for how they go against Philippines. But um, being a fan of the football ferns is a tough slog. And um, we've all got friends and families that have been saying that um, I played for the team for 16 years and I think um, it's been a long road being a supporter of them and I've just recently joined that crew. So, um I'm hopeful for the team, but I think it's going to be a big ask this World Cup. And it's really amazing to have a World Cup in this part of the world. We've seen the reception that the Matildas have been getting on this side of the Tasman. Tell us a little bit about what it's been like in New Zealand with the football ferns. Has there been the massive groundswell from the public that we've seen on this side? Yeah, I think, short answer, no. But I think lots of that is built off um, the domestic league. And I think Australia's done a great job of branding the A-League building that support at a domestic level. I think um, New Zealand really misses that. We've got the Phoenix who have come in the last two seasons, but that's a team that's finishing last in the league. It's not really one that's gone out there and ignited a passion for the game yet. I have high hopes for the Phoenix in the future, but it's not (laughs) been sort of what the A-League is for Australia. And so 
No, it hasn't really been that groundswell of support, but I'm going to add the disclaimer to that is that Kiwis are a very laid back bunch. And I think in terms of sporting attendance, day sales and walk-ups are the usual for New Zealand. So I actually really feel for the um, people that are monitoring ticket sales because there's almost been a bit of a culture clash and that that's not how we operate. It's clearly how FIFA operate and it's clearly how the rest of the footballing world operate, but I don't quite think New Zealanders understand that yet or have grasped how awesome the product is going to be. Like I think um, that's something that I've been really looking forward to is just having these amazing footballers on show on home soil. And I think because we've had such a um, drought Mm. of quality football in New Zealand since controversial, since the dawn of time, I think we've probably (laughs) never really had this quality in New Zealand. So um, yeah, I think we're probably not, the penny's not necessarily dropped yet. Whereas I think I was just watching today the clips of the Matildas getting their shirts from Kids Called Matilda, which I thought was the sweetest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And the crowd at Fed Square was unreal. So I think the Matildas have done a phenomenal job of that. But um, that said, when you've got Sam Kerr leading mm. the team, I think it's a bit of a draw card. You've got one of the best strikers in the world. That's something that New Zealand don't have. We don't necessarily have that superstar within the ranks that's able to be a relatable player for um young girls. It's something that the Black Ferns did really well for the Rugby World Cup. You know, I think so many Kiwis saw themselves in that team, whereas I think um particularly with most of our footballers being based overseas, it's that's just not really here in New Zealand. But I know the New Zealand football media team is working hard to try and rectify that, but it's mm. a bit of a big ask. We're, what, 10 days out from mm. the tournament? I don't necessarily think they've got that across the line. So I'd be looking at that as an opportunity missed, but I don't want to take away too much. I think the Ferns will get good crowds. I think um, some of the other games might struggle, particularly midweek games when you've mm. got maybe two less well-known teams. Um, I think that'll be an issue, and I know that um, yeah, there's a little bit of concern around ticket sales. Yeah, we've... I've just uh, heard about that, actually, that there were concerns about the way that the ticket sales were tracking. But I, I think that it may be due to the fact that, and it, it happened here for a little while up until I reckon about a month ago, that we really had no idea how big this tournament would be and the impact that this will have on football. What significant impact do you think this is going to have on football, in particular women's football and girls' football in New Zealand? Yeah, I'm hope there's been so many questions about the legacy of this tournament and what the impact's going to be. And I think I've, like, if you'd asked me three years ago, I would have said, got so many hopes and dreams for what this is going to do for football in New Zealand. Um, I'm a little bit more sceptical at the minute as to what the legacy of this tournament's going to be. I was actually th- I was thinking about this um, today and I sort of landed on the fact that, like, actually, yes, do I hope it inspires a generation of young boys and girls to play football? Absolutely, I think that's a given just Mm. given the amount of money that's been invested, the amount of exposure that football's got and the games that'll be on show. But what I'm really hoping for for this World Cup is that we get a whole generation of players that stand up for themselves and know their worth and become young activists. Like, I don't really care if they play football, but I do want people to see that you can stand up for yourself, know your worth, understand that um, you're worth investing in and that you can do whatever it is that you want to do. That's my hope for this World Cup, because we've got players that are mothers coming across, players that are professional athletes, players that have been standing up for their rights in terms of pay equity, and that they have the right to play with a hijab, that they can 
you know, stick it to the man almost. So that's what I want the legacy from this tournament to be. And I think that's probably a bit more than, yeah, it's a bit more than playing football for Mm. me. And I think it's just drawing that parallel between sport has the power to change the world. And I think women's sport is doing that in such a big way. It's just challenging social norms and the status quo. And that's what I want people to realize from this tournament is that we're not having visit Saudi plastered across all the billboards because that's not what we're about. And I think, yeah, that's what I hope the legacy for this World Cup is and that we have a generation of activists coming through. Hopefully there'll be footballers too. It's the world's beautiful game and I love football so much, but just people that are willing to stand up for themselves and yeah, stick it to the man a little. That's a great perspective to have and hopefully football can deliver that with this tournament and the flow on effect from that. Hopefully we do see on the football front a, a second A-League team on that side of the Tasman that's been talked about for a little bit now. Hopefully that comes to fruition and just moving forward with it, hopefully there's a lot more interest from the public, both men's and women's side and um, New Zealand domestic football as well, not just A-League franchises. There's a lot to be gained from this. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we can get that second um, franchise in, I mean, that essentially doubles the number of professional footballers in New Zealand, which is um, no small feat. But you're so right about that domestic league being the feeder into one, those professional teams, but also into our national teams. And I think if we look at the teams that will do well at this World Cup, I think having that strong domestic league is so key and it's so key to the sustainability of football in the country as well. And I think that's something that we've been lacking. It's awesome that we've been able to um, tag on to the A-League, but it's got to be another another layer down for us, I think, and it's got to be, yeah, more than two teams mm. if we ever want to see um, the football product that's coming out of the rest of the world and be able to compete. I think we've almost missed the boat a little bit and that if you look at the money that's been invested now and we're trying to bridge probably like a five-year gap where we've under-invested, I think it's a big ask. But um, hopefully these two franchises will be um, a game-changer for us. So just quickly, on the level below the A-League, right? In New Zealand, mm-hmm. as far as the women's uh, league would be concerned, what would be the ideal scenario as far as, like, would it be a 10-team league? Would it be a North Conference and a South Conference? What would you see as the as the best setup yeah, as far so, as that's um, concerned? It's a real interesting one, the domestic scene in New Zealand. So we're actually in a bit of a transitional phase at the minute. So what it, it's gone from being a national league, which was um, regional, so I think there were maybe, God, don't, do not quote me on this, there were maybe no, that's <laughs> five teams in the North Island and two teams in the South, but it was an entire national competition. And um, what they're changing to now is a club-based model where um, essentially you, position you finish in your regional league, the top teams from that go into a national competition. But um, for women at the minute, they've gone hybrid. So some of the region so South Island is still saying regional at the moment where it's got the two teams you've got mainland football which is Canterbury and you've got Soccer South which is around Dunedin and then they've gone um, it's hybrid in the sense that the North Island Auckland is club based now the um, Waikato I think is still maybe federation based and then you've got Wellington's doing club based supported by the federation so it's a real mismatch at the minute but in terms of what I would like to see, and again, this is just my opinion, is that I think it's got to go club-based if we want to see any sort of progression and investment in the ability of players to be paid. I think it has to be club-based. There's too much conflict if you're looking at a 
regional sports centre. So if we're looking at Capital Football, for example, which is the Wellington one, they're a community-based organisation. They can't be paying players. It's not right. It's too conflicting. But then is that hamstringing any sort of progress? My answer is yes. I think payers do deserve to be paid or at least remunerated somewhat for their time Mm. or expenses. And having that at a, I guess in Australia, what would be the equivalent of a state level, it mm. just makes it so unattainable. And I think if you've got the men's games going club-based, why would you not have the women's game go club-based? Why would you not be aspirational in that sense with it? So I'm really um, excited about the fact that it is moving towards a club-based model and there is that opportunity for future investment. I think it will initially put a lot of pressure on clubs, which are amateur, Um But I also think it sort of does give an aspirational foundation of where they can invest more and you can look to monetize the product and, yeah, move away from conflicting with a community-based organization. So, yes, do I think it should be club-based? A hundred percent. I don't know about the numbers and I don't know about how that's going to look, but um, I'm really excited for the idea of it being club-based and for that, I I like the idea of the um, top teams qualifying for that as well. I think it... um, gives it that competitive element which um i would actually love to see the a-league do as well yeah fantastic and at the end of the day more investment into clubs is going to deliver better players for the national team and it's a good way to circle back to uh, the current side and you mentioned at the top of the interview here the tuna win over vietnam earlier this week a much needed win following a a 10-match winless run is it exactly what the doctor ordered? It is exactly what the doctor <laughs> ordered, I think, for the fans in terms of generating interest. And it wasn't just a 2-0 sort of scraping by. I think um, even CJ would admit this. I'm sure that the first goal took a wicked deflection and that everyone was a bit surprised as to how that happened. But in terms of the style of play, it was really exciting. They were getting lots of shots off and um, it was just an entertaining brand of football and a lot more attacking than what we'd seen in the past. So I think, um, yeah, it was really, it was the perfect send-off game for them. It was um, in Napier as well, which I'm not too sure um, how much you know about that region, but it's just, um, it was either earlier this year or end of last year that it was um, had some um, pretty adverse weather rip through the area. So it's a community that really needed something positive. So I'm really glad that the girls got a chance to go down there and to link in with the community as well and, um, yeah, really support that region as well. I think that was the perfect send-off for them. So to the to the squad itself, right? We're familiar with Ali Riley, right, and, mm-hmm. and um, her exploits with Angel City FC at the moment. Who are the other players that we should be keeping an eye on and looking out for? Yeah, I think you're right. Ali is the um, obvious first choice. I'm at an Angel City defender. I think um, what people maybe I think people do know this, but I'm just going to shout it out as well as that Ali's just a phenomenal leader as well so I think not only is she a great player but she brings so much to our team in terms of leadership and motivation and getting the best out of players so I am so excited to see Ali go out there and do that again with the Ferns. In terms of other players to watch um, I think CJ Bott who will be probably the right back she's um, a Leicester City player she's in such great form at the minute she's had a bit of a tough run I think the last couple of years has been pretty plagued by injuries but um, she's looking like she's going to be a real one to watch Um, so the that's of concern for the Ferns on that you probably don't want two of your best players to be the fullbacks. That's not <laughs> necessarily what you might be after if we're looking for an attacking brand of football. I think um, Jackie Hand, who is a Finland-based striker, she's really put her hand up over the last six months in terms of making that spot her, playing an attacking brand of football. And um, they're really lucky, I think, to have Rhea Percival back, who's off the back of 12 to 14 months off. I think it's probably been about 14 months since her last international. Um, she 
obliterated her knee. I think most people say did the mm. ACL, but she did everything good and proper. So she's um a Tottenham-based midfielder, and she's um yes, such a great addition to the Ferns and someone they really needed. I think it'll be interesting to see sort of her fitness and how long she can play, given that she is like so soon back from injury. But um, in terms of the leadership, the energy she brings, um, she'll be just slot into midfield very nicely. And who do you see as the, the main goal for it? Is it Anna Wilkinson? I want to say yes, because I would back Wilkie any day of the week. And I'm so <laughs> hopeful that this is her tournament. I think um, the combination between her and Jackie will be really important for this team. And I think if um, Hannah's on form and can sort of get, I really hope that she can get one under her belt early because I know it's been a while since she scored, in a, particularly in the A-League, um, the most recent A-League who was Melbourne City. She didn't quite have that same goal-scoring form that she'd had the um, previous year. Mm. So I know that she'll be really wanting to score as well. I think um, what's really interesting for the Ferns in terms of goal-scoring, because I know like people do talk about that a lot and that we do, we don't manage to score many goals. It's that I actually really feel for the strikers in the team and that to have a conversion rate of essentially people are wanting 100% or 50%, you know, we're actually not creating that many shots. So the pressure that's on them and that say you have two shots, essentially one of them has to go in. That's just unreal. I think um, if we can get a bit better service into them and let them maybe miss a few and then score one in five would still be a great conversion rate for any striker. But um, yeah, no, I think... um. We really do need Walkie to stand up and um, score some goals, but hopefully Jackie can be getting some as well. With regard to the midfield, who's going to be the person that controls the midfield? Which player is the most important there? That's such a good question. I think probably it's, it's got to be Rhea Percival. I think you'll mm-hmm. have you'll have Betsy Hassett in there, who's um, played with the Phoenix last season. She's rec- uh, she's um, in Iceland at the minute, um, mm. but she she'll buzz around, and mm. she, her work rate is second to none. But in terms of pulling strings, I think they're going to rely on um, Rhea a lot for that. I think Annalie Longo, who's just come back from an ACL injury as well, I think this was her first game. On Monday was her first game in essentially nine months. Um, She's a great ball player, but she's so fresh back from injury. Mm. And um, she's really position-based as well. So to best utilise her, we need to keep the ball. And I think um, that's a real challenge that the Kiwis have faced historically. And just one more on the personnel front. I'd like to ask about Olivia Chance. She's really come into her own at Celtic and really influential for that team. Is she going to be a regular starter in this team and is she going to have the freedom to create as much as she does for a club side? If you had asked me six months ago, she would have been the first name on the team sheet. I think um, <laughs> the fact that she's just off the bat again, mm. off the back of an injury. injury. Yeah. And um, I think that will really hamper the amount of minutes that she gets and the impact that she can have on the game. I think Olivia's a great player undoubtedly so and has like a left foot like no one else in the team so um if we had had her fully fit I think yes it's going to be a big ass she came off the bench on the weekend on, on Monday sorry and while she did some great things it wasn't the same player that she was six months ago so maybe timing is just mm. an issue so maybe if she's not in there for the first game hopefully the team can grow into the tournament and she can play a bigger role as um as there's a bit more time passed. But yeah, Olivia's a great player. I think um, she's going to, like, this injury timing is pretty bloody unlucky for her. To the opponents of the football ferns, Norway, yeah. Philippines and Switzerland. What do we make of them? Well, obviously Norway are, are quite fancied, but... Oh man, I was looking at the team sheet today for Norway and the clubs that those girls play at. And um, I think on paper, no- Norway are the team 
to beat for sure. But if we're looking at their tournament form and the run that they've had at the Euros and the last World Cup, I think they're a team that are perpetually under-delivered in major tournaments. So um, I'm pretty glad the Ferns have got them in the opening game. I think if there's any game to take them, it's that one. Hopefully a big crowd can be a 12th man. But on paper, they're phenomenal. If you're looking at their um, front three with Graham Hansen from Barcelona, you've got Wrighton from um, Chelsea, Marnham's at Arsenal and um, Hugerberg at Lyon. Like, that's unbelievable. So I think um, the Kiwi back four will be pretty hard-pressed to contain them and to keep them scoreless, I think, would be a really big ask. So that means that we need to be putting ones away at the other end. Um, but yeah, Norway are definitely the team to be in the group. And just talking about Switzerland and the Philippines, for mine, looking at those two sides as well as the Kiwis, it seems like second place in this group is wide open. Is I it the case that, think so. particularly on match day three... Hang on, the, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mm-hmm. Let's be, you going, let's you're, be you're clear picking here. me up on something I'm here picking too. you up on something now. Oh, here we go. What now? <laughs> what do you call this group? So, Anna, you know how every World Cup has a group of uh, death, yeah. right? Okay. Nathan's got a name for this group, Group A. Go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, I call it the group of life. <laughs> that is um, so sweet. It's <laughs> so optimistic. If because because there's going to be someone coming out of this group that it's going to be a, a really fair a fair tale story for them. Whoever mm. it is that comes out of it, be it Switzerland, the Kiwis, or the Philippines, we're mm. ex- kind of expecting Norway to go through. Mm. But just between the other three teams, I think it's very evenly matched. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think so, and that's the beauty of football. And um, I'm hoping that the home World Cup is the advantage that the Kiwis need to really get it over the line. I think. Um, Goodness me, I'm um, always worried playing against a team that um, stage coaches. I mm-hmm. think um, having played for him at my mm. first stint at Sydney FC, seeing what he did with the Matildas and the fact that he has got the Philippines to this World Cup, I think means that they can- they're a team that cannot be underestimated. Um, if anyone can get that man, I mean, get that team to win, it is that man for mm. sure. So I think they'll be a really well-organized team. They'll be hardworking. And I think... Um, by no means will they be um, in it. probably the easy beat that people are expecting them to be. If you were to look at the teams, I think um, yeah, we're going to credit where credit's due. They qualified for the World Cup through Asia, which is um, yeah, not a small achievement. So yeah, I think that will be a game though that the Ferns have to win, and mm. I think we can all be pretty clear on that. That um, that's the one you've got to get three points in. And um, given the Ferns have been at so many World Cups and have so much experience, so many players that are playing professionally in good leagues that if you can't win that game, then you probably don't deserve to go through. And I think that's mm. the long and short of it. Um, but Switzerland will be an interesting challenge. I think it's kind of cool the way that the games have lined up and that, yes, Norway is going to be potentially, say if we were like, if you're targeting points, you might not target that one mm. for three. Then if you can get three against the Philippines and then to have the last game where it's all to play for, I think leaves it for like the perfect setup. But um Switzerland definitely have some quality players that um the f- will will cause the ferns trouble, I think. But I still think the ferns can do it and that they have the potential to get through to the next round, which is really, really exciting given that we haven't won a game at a World Cup at all. Um possibility to hopefully get those first three points and to qualify for the next round is, um, would be unbelievable for the team and for the country. All right. I think it's time to go game by game, Anna, and we're going to get your predictions. <laughs> we do this with every guest. Is it just the winner and like, the yeah, winner yeah, or is it score predictions as well? Yeah, whatever no, you no, feel no, comfortable. No, no. We'll, we'll leave it open to the, no, just leave the it open? winner. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so New Zealand versus Norway in Auckland on 
what, eight days away as we record. So it's tomorrow week. My Lord, this is coming around quickly. <laughs> I'm going to go draw on this one. I reckon the Kiwis can sneak a point. Like it, like it. New Zealand versus Philippines in Wellington on the 25th of July. It's got to be the Ferns all the way. Cool, very cool. And the 30th of July, match day three, Switzerland versus New Zealand in Dunedin. How do you think that one's going to play out? I'm going to go draw again, which this is the biggest cop-out. I think sitting on the fence <laughs> is like such a cop-out. If they can get five points for the group, I would be a very happy fan, and I know there would be lots of um, happy girls in the Kiwi um, dressing room as well. Uh, that would put them through into uh, second place uh, in the group phase and a potential round 16 tie against Spain. How would you see the Kiwis lining up? Lining up in terms of a result, in terms of mm. formation, or... In, in terms of just a general personnel. Okay, <laughs> against um, Spain, I think that would... Any given day, anything can happen, and I'm a diehard football Ferns fan, so I'm going to add that disclaimer, but I think Spain might be a stretch too far mm. for the Ferns. I think um, the form that they've been in, particularly given they're missing, um, what is it, 12? Mm. Phenomenal, world-class yeah. players. Um, I think, yeah, that that would be a stretch too far. I, I think the brand of football they play um, is phenomenal, and I went to the Matildas Spain game last year, and I know the Matildas came away with a win, but that could have easily gone the other way if they'd managed to put mm. so many chances away first half. The brand of football that they play is is phenomenal and the way they move the ball I think would cause them Ferns a lot of issues. I think it'll cause a lot of teams issues across the tournament. So I'm actually really excited to um see Spain play and um they're based out of my hometown, Palmerston North. So I think um, awesome. after the Ferns, they'll be my um honorary team as well. We ask everyone this. If mm-hmm. your nation can't win it who is the which nation is the one that takes out the women's world cup my head is saying usa and my heart is saying england okay those are the two teams that i'd be um putting putting money behind probably yeah i think the us is a pretty safe bet <laughs> the way it's shaping up but as we all know it's a world cup anything can happen next thursday night anna what will you be doing where will you be I will 100% be watching the game. I am going to be doing some of the TV coverage of it. So, um, oh, great. Awesome. Hopefully, talking about how phenomenal the ferns are, that would be my dream for Thursday and then celebrating um, with a few drinks afterwards now that I am retired from football. <laughs> so the grass is most definitely greener. <laughs> Or Anna Greener. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, it's just gone and done it. And on that note, Anna, I have to apologise for Nathan. But no, uh, congratulations again on your career that uh, you've just retired from. Well played. Thank you very much for joining us on the back peg, Making Waves World Cup preview series. Um, Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely fantastic to be joined by Anna Green. Nathan, what did you make of uh, the chat that we had with Anna? Yeah, it was fantastic. Good to have an ex-pro on. We've been speaking to a lot of journalists and Mm -hmm. they offer great perspective, but it's also good to switch it up a little bit and have someone who's been on the pitch themselves and offer uh, a slightly different angle on everything kicking off. And it's great to hear Anna's thoughts on New Zealand football moving forward. Little scepticism over the legacy of this tournament, which I suppose is warranted because Mm. we've seen some things in the past not come to fruition. So scepticism is... uh, Healthy with a small dose, I think, which is mm. good to hear. And just Anna's perspectives on this World Cup are, are really good to hear. And interesting to see how this tournament um, fares for the hosts. Yeah. Our Kiwi Cousins. Yeah. Great to get Anna's insight. She was an absolute pleasure to have on. I'd uh, love to have her back on anytime. But it was great to get her insight, having recently 
been a part of the uh, setup there in New Zealand as well. So, yeah, it, it'll it be, like you said, Nathan, it'll be interesting to see how things play out for New Zealand in this tournament. Is the power of the 12th man going to be felt here by the football ferns? I think, look, there is a bit of scepticism around how the tournament will be perceived in New Zealand because I've, Anna did mention that uh, ticket sales on that side of the Tasman appear to be, uh, be a bit softer as compared to this side of the Tasman. But having said that, I think the once the tournament kicks off, I think things will change in New Zealand. Yeah, we, we can only hope that'll be the case. And mm. as Anna was alluding to, there's a bit of a culture of uh, walk-ups and day sales. So perhaps they'll um, make up for the balance. Because it's not just the uh, the Kiwi games that uh, haven't yet sold out. No, that's right. Also some of the other games um, yeah. around the country, and particularly the US and Netherlands game. Yeah, and I've seen anecdotally that the travelling cohort from the US is expected to be, you know, around about twenty thousand into New Zealand. I've seen mm. some anecdotal reports about that. So obviously that'll be felt as well if it's uh, in that kind of range. Um, normally the US women's national team has uh, does pull a, a large supporter base from the US and travels uh, with them. So yeah, let's just see how it all plays out when the tournament kicks off. We should we should also mention that um, we we didn't mention this earlier uh, with uh, the chat with Anna, but this is uh, New Zealand's sixth appearance at a World Cup at a Women's World Cup, and they're ranked currently 26 according to the FIFA rankings. And look, their best results have been just at the at the group stage, so they haven't uh, progressed past the group stage. But this may be it, Nathan. This may be it. It may be it for them to actually win a game at a Women's World Cup too. Mm. Because you say five pass appearances, not only are they yet to get out of a group, they're yet to pick up three points in a game. So yeah, they'll be and looking it... at the Philippines match, perhaps the Swiss one as well as an opportunity. Maybe the Norwegians are a bridge too far to get three, but mm. they'll be looking for uh, an opportunity to get that elusive win on the board. Yeah, and it did mention that. And I have to say, the uh, New Zealand away kit is pretty pretty spectacular as well, actually. The it's home kit look, is too. Great looking kit. And the home kit as well, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. There's a but whole host of uh, cracking kits going around in this tournament. We'll cover those off in our uh, final preview show with yeah. the bracket as well, I think. Mm. Uh, a little fun thing to do at the end. Um, sure. But yes, what do you make of their opponents, Laz? Shall we start with Norway? Let's start with Norway. The favourites of this group. In this group of life, as you would call it. <laughs> the grasshoppers otherwise they're known as which is weird i don't know why the reason uh, behind that is but uh, there you have it uh ranked number 12 in the world at the moment according to the fifa rankings and they are past world cup champions in 1995 and this is their ninth appearance at a fifa women's world cup uh, it certainly is. And the last World Cup in 2019, they had a quarterfinal exit to the English. Not uh, all that disappointing, not a big surprise. England are a great team. Uh, their last Euros, however, was a bit of a shock. They went out in the group stage last year. That is a bit of a, a surprise for a team that, given expectations, are much higher for the women's team than they are for the men's team on the international stage. Yeah, indeed. That was, was a, a bit big of a shock, shock to yep. see them go out. Yep, that was a shock. That was a shock indeed. Uh, they finished their campaign in the women's Euros, losing one 0 to Austria. But um, then since then, they've it's been fairly mixed with the you know more wins uh, than draws and losses, but still nothing really of significance with regards to uh, how they've performed um, effectively. You know, highlights a four one loss to Norway. Uh, sorry, four one loss to Brazil. Rather, I should say four <laughs> one loss to Brazil. Uh, a 2-1 loss to France. One all draw with England, but 
having lost to uh, Denmark 2-0, a 1-0 win against Uruguay, and then again another draw, a draw against France when they played them again in the Tournoi de France in February. And their last two results, a 4-2 loss to Spain in April and a 3 all draw to Sweden in April. So no uh, pre, pre-tournament games coming into this. No, there isn't. And that form is pretty patchy, to be honest. And mm. yes, we're expecting Norway to win this group. They have the squad on paper, at least good enough to win this group, perhaps get seven points or more. But that form doesn't suggest that they're a team ready to go. Head coach uh, Hege Risa, who is Norwegian, has picked a, a 23-person uh, squad with a lot of players scattered around Europe, particularly in the WSL, as well as Barcelona and um, a few other highlight teams as well, including Leon. This is a team that we would expect to be one of the contenders for this entire tournament, based on their history and their reputation. I yeah. don't really see them as that, though, because essentially it's looking like a US and Spanish semi-final, barring a, a meltdown from either one of those teams. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cut and dry. Look, I think you're right there, Nathan, actually. It, and it's weird to say that, especially when you consider the likes of Carol, uh, Caroline uh, Graham Hansen, who is a world-renowned forward, right? At Barcelona, you know, she's part of that amazing Barcelona side. I mean, ex- you know, wealth of experience with 98 caps. Likewise, Ada Hegerberg from uh, Olympic Lyonnais. And, and, you know, you're talking about two quality strikers up front, right? So, yeah, it, I get your point, though. I, I do get your point that you look at it and you're still going, okay, well, where are the where is the problem being for this Norwegian side? Because you're right to mention that the last Euros, having watched that that whole tournament, they weren't great at all, and obviously that's why they got um, eliminated at the group stage. And I don't and I don't see where the issues are aside from a tactical point of view. I think it is. Yeah. I'm lost for, lost for uh, thoughts on what's going particularly wrong with this side. Maybe it is just a case of some teething problems and testing things out in friendlies. Since the Euros, maybe it's all just a case of they're, I don't know, trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and they'll spring a surprise at the World Cup and uh, pull off some shock results. Yeah. The but... thing is, though, the thing is, though, Les, if they win this group, they're looking at a, an early match against the US. And that's, that's true. got to be the, the block in the road. We'll talk about it a little bit later on, mm. I think, perhaps. But maybe finishing second won't be all that bad. No. No, that's true. Look, um, you look at their side and, and there's the experience in the midfield and, and in the uh, forwards. But the defence, relatively inexperienced compared to the midfield and the forwards, right? Uh, having said that, though, their uh, captain, uh, Marin Mildeh, it's got 165 caps there, but everyone else is under 30 caps in the squad. So, yeah, it's it's just a funny one. It's just a really, really, really funny one with regards to this side. Look, for mine, as we've indicated before, they're favourites to exit this group uh, or to get through the group, I should say, rather. But beyond that, who knows? Who's your key player, Laz? Oh, I'm going to go with Graham Hansen. You have to. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, she's... She's a great footballer. She is a great footballer, and uh, it'll be great to see her on, you know, in this part of the world again. You know, it, it's yeah, it's. I would also say though, they've got a young, um, an upcoming uh, midfielder, Julie Blackstead, who's out at Manchester City. Who I've having watched a bit of WSL as well. You know, um, seems to be a really good talent. Only age twenty one. Certainly one to keep an eye on. I've got mm. a different set of players in front of me here, funnily enough, Les. Goes okay. to show the quality in this Norwegian team. There's a fair few that we could pick out. But uh, my um, 
sort of key player, of course, you have to say Graham Hansen, but I went for someone different because I knew you'd say Graham Hansen. Uh, <laughs> I go for... <laughs> no, it's, hard, it, it, it's hard to get past it, really. Yeah, it is, it is. It is. It is. Uh, just for the sake of being different, I've gone for uh, Rathen, Rathen at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Most assists in the WSL in the previous season. We'll play on the left wing or fluid role. Certainly one to keep an eye on, as well as um, the Arsenal midfielder, uh, Frieda Manen. Dynamic in movement, uh, good creative presence. Two players there to keep an eye on. Yep, right, indeed. Shall we move on to the Philippines? Let's Nathan. do it. This Let's is the, probably the most interesting team in the group. Yeah, it certainly yeah. is. Uh, the Filipinas, 46th ranked in the world, on debut at a Women's World Cup. The interesting thing about this team is that they have gone under a bit of a revolution under Australian coach Alan Stajic, and most notably, a semi-final appearance at the Asian Cup last year against all odds. Uh, did lose on the day to South Korea, but we won't hold it against them. And this is a team that really, yes, is a fairy tale that they're here in the first place, but I don't think they'll be looking to just make up the numbers. This won't be a side that's just happy to be here and will take a point if it comes and then head off in, in, into the sunset. I think there's an upset looming with this group. Agreed. Agreed. It's an interesting one in the sense that having a look at their form since July of last year, whoever they've played against in Oceania and New Zealand, uh, sorry, Oceania and Asia, aside from New Zealand, they've beaten, right? Um, they've had losses and draws against the likes of Costa Rica and Chile, um, lost to Wales, lost to Scotland, and lost to Iceland, right? So, and there is another team in that, Myanmar. Actually, they lost to Myanmar as well in May. So, yeah, they they seem to be really good at handling Asian competition, right? Um, look, it's a it's a game fraught with danger for the new for the New Zealanders for the purposes of this group. But they they will be a plucky opponent. But um, you know they won't be um, you know they won't be backward in coming forward if that's if that makes a sense, right? They'll they'll definitely <laughs> take the game. They'll definitely take the game wherever they can. Um, and like uh, Anna Green mentioned, right, that a staged coach side is always difficult to play against, right? So. Um. Yeah, it, this is going to be a fascinating team to watch in the as far as the dynamic of this group is concerned. Yeah, very much so. We'll go through our game by game a little bit later on, as we always do. Mm. But looking at some of the players in this team, of course, there's a the 23 person squad that's been named. Captain Tanayanis, based in Iceland, the 34 year old with 37 caps to a name. She's my key player. She'll be looking to create the crucial link. Uh, from the rest of the team to the attacking side that's going to be needed in these games because the way I'm expecting the Philippines to set up, they need some sort of good transitional play to hit teams like the Kiwis and the Swiss on the break, as well as the Norwegians, to be fair. And, yeah, the midfield needs to be on song for this tournament. How to disagree with you there, Nathan? I'm going to go with uh, Isabella Flanagan, who is a American-based player, only 18 years of age, 28 caps, three goals, plays at the West Virginia Mountaineers in the college system there. So, you know, a young up-and-coming talent, so that'll be one to keep an eye on. But I should mention there are a few players that are Australian-based in this side as well. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on on those players and how they perform in this Women's World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And notably, we've got Serena Bolden, who is responsible for the Philippines' appearance at this World Cup. She scored the winning penalty in uh, the Asian Cup last year against Taiwan. And she's an attacker for Western Sydney. Correct. She didn't score that many goals in the A-League women's this season, but uh, she'll be looking to uh, get on the score sheet plenty of times for the Philippines. Her, 36 her, caps, 22 goals. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say her record's pretty good. 
internationally. So the Philippine side are very interesting. We'll see how they crack on. Mm. We shall talk about the last team in this group, players, the Swiss, Lanati. Lanati, yes, indeed. Ranked 20, according to FIFA. Uh, they haven't won the Women's World Cup. They didn't qualify for the 2019 World Cup. They were there in 2015. They lost in the round of 16 to Canada, which was their only other appearance at this tournament. Mm-hmm. And in the Euros last year, they didn't get out of the group. They finished behind Austria, but ahead of Northern Ireland. So there's something, I suppose. Mm. But uh, this is a team that's really, looking at it, their form since has been, let's just say, it's been poor. Yeah, to win under current boss Inca Grings. Uh, 10 games now without a win. And some of those results in there, like a 3 or draw with Zambia, who, to be fair, beat Germany last week. So perhaps a draw is uh, not all that bad. But a nil draw against Morocco and China, mm. uh, two draws against Poland. That doesn't scream to me like a team ready to go and take this group by storm. I think you're right there, Nathan. I think that um, their, their format best has been patchy. A lot of draws coming into this with uh, one loss. So since the, you know, the start of this calendar year, it's been pretty um, pretty ordinary, to be fair. Just draws. So um, And the one lost to uh, to Iceland. So, yeah, it's not great form. And they're not having any pre-tournament friendlies either coming into this tournament. So, again, another weird one with regards to their lead-up. Yeah, very much so. But there's still some good players in this team. They have a, a good handful of Swiss-based players. But also you've got Ramona Backman at Paris Saint-Germain. You've got Alicia Lehmann at Aston Villa. Amongst other players in this team that are at good clubs, um, Noah Maritz at Arsenal as well. One to point out. Laz, any of those are your player to watch, or have you got someone else? I should also mention uh, Leah Wati, or Leah Walty, who's the captain of the squad. Uh, she's at Arsenal, 30 years of age, 108 caps for the team, third most in the squad out of everyone. But uh, there's someone at Barcelona who I think should be the player to watch, Laz. You think the player to watch, Nathan, should be Anna Maria Cernogorsevich. Is that right? I was just letting you. Um, have a pronunciation. You're letting me, yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. I, I, I'd contend that um, the player that I'd like to keep an eye to keep an eye on is uh, Geraldine uh, Reutler, who uh, plays at Eintracht Frankfurt, has 53 caps and 11 goals, and age 23. So a bit of experience there with um, one so youthful. Yeah, I'm expecting her to line up in the centre of midfield uh, alongside the captain Balti. And interestingly, we- it should be a four-four-two. But we didn't mention another striker, Alicia Lehman at Aston Villa, only age 24, and um, is, is, you know has been touted to be a bit of a talent as well. Absolutely. And mm. there's plenty of talent across this team. Um, also should mention Fabian Hum, the 36-year-old veteran, 78 caps for Zurich, and scored the, uh, the winning goal in the playoff final to get the Swiss to this tournament against Wales, breaking their hearts. Uh, 120th minute of extra time in that game. What a I- moment. What a moment for the side. And yeah. uh, they'll be looking to uh, improve on that and have another great moment in the next couple of weeks. The question is, will they, Nathan? Will they have great moments in this tournament? Well, I'm not so sure, given their recent run of form. That's the red flag for me, too. No wins under this current manager. And some of the teams that they have failed to beat, uh, yeah, they really do uh, cause concern. So we'll go to our game by game and see how this group is going to pan out. And uh, before we get going, Laz, yep. I think across the preview so far, We've mm-hmm. picked the same, mm-hmm. and That's we've correct. also picked the uh, the two favourites to go through. Correct. Maybe in a slightly different order, but the mm-hmm. two favourites nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're going to go the same here as well. Mm. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. But let's start off with the World Cup opener. So this will be played, uh, I believe it's 6pm city time uh, on Thursday the 20th of July or 5pm city time. 
Uh, we'll have to just confirm that. But uh, it's this game, New Zealand versus Norway, will kick off the Women's World Cup. And then later on that night, it'll be the Matildas against the Republic of Ireland. So it'll be a bumper doubleheader to kick off the Women's World Cup. It certainly will be. And there's a good uh, opening ceremony planned as well. Oh, great. At Eden Park. Uh, I, I heard a 10-minute um, presentation routine. Awesome is in store, so definitely interested to uh, check that one out and see what they come up with because uh, what was it in Qatar? They uh, brought out Morgan Freeman and someone from BTS. Yes. It was uh, uh, a little bit strange. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, hey, we can't can't hold the host responsible for that. I think FIFA have something to do with that as well. But, yeah, um, yeah Eden Park will be the setting and New Zealand versus Norway. Nathan, how do you see this one playing out? Oh, Anna won't like me uh, saying this. But uh, I think the Norwegians are pretty strong, and I think they walk around our winners in this one. Slightly disappointing for the host. I'm going to go for a three-one. Mm. I am going to go for a draw in this one. One all. We're already different, but that's okay. We'll see how it pans out. We've offered different up, different score lines. Yes, but we've always arrived at the same teams going through. So uh, correct. We'll see what we'll see how that comes out. Uh, the other game, match day one, Philippines against Switzerland down in Dunedin. Yep. In the uh, the indoor stadium down there. The 21st of July. Yeah. Philippines versus Switzerland. I am going to go with a draw for this one as well. I've got a draw. I've got one all. I've got one all too. Match day two, the Kiwis back in action against the Philippines in Wellington. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? I'm going to go a Kiwi win. I'm going to go the Football Ferns, and we're going to go 2-1 to the Football Ferns. I'm going to go for a frustrating day for the hosts. A one-all draw. You would. Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) Switzerland versus Norway out of Hamilton. Yeah, 2-0 two, two to the Norwegians. I'm going to go 2-0 Norway as well there. So as we have it going into match day three, your group, Nathan, looks like what? Norway on six. Mm-hmm. I've got the Philippines on two points. Mm-hmm. And Switzerland and New Zealand both on one point. Okay. Whilst Very much I, alive. Whilst I have Norway on four points, New Zealand on four points, Philippines on one point, and Switzerland on one point. So still to play for on match day three by our reckoning. Our scientific reckoning. That's right. <laughs> so match day three. Should we go the host first or do you want to go Philippines versus Norway? Let's go the host first. Okay. In action against sort of the Swiss mm-hmm. uh, down in Dunedin as well. Yep. I've got a two-all draw. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. I've got a two-all draw too. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And importantly, Norway against the Philippines. Norway to win 2-1. See, by my group, Norway already through. They've already Mm. topped the group. Yep. So expecting them to, if it was to be like this, rotate the side a bit, Mm -hmm. play sort of the the rotation players, give them some minutes Mm -hmm. in effectively a dead rubber for them. Mm -hmm. I'm going for a nil all. Okay, so how do you have your group finishing, Nathan? Norway on seven. Yes. And I'm putting the Philippines through. I thought you would. (laughs) I thought you would. Hey, look, you might be right. I don't, I don't hey, know. Essentially, essentially, you got to pick a bit of an upset somewhere along the line. Look, we can't go through the A groups and pick the top two teams. No, but we, as expected we, to go through. That's true, <laughs> and you, and you're do, and you're just doing it just for a bit of a, a shit stir or to be devil's advocate. I get it. I understand. No, hey, I'm no. looking forward to the I told you so in a week's time. <laughs> and look, yeah, maybe right, but I, I I actually think that as we mentioned in our chat with Anna that. This group, second place in this group, and is up for grabs. Um, it's a fairly, and you're right to term it the group of life, right? I think this draw actually serves New Zealand pretty well, right? 
Um, and I think that they're winnable games or they're games that they can potentially get a get a result out of, right? And the reason why I say that I say that is because I think Norway, based on what I've seen in the Euro last year, and given their their recent run of form, are there to be got at, allowing for their quality, right? So yes, there's a threat going forward, but in the midfield and the defensive line, there seems to be uh, issues there. So yeah, I so the way I have it is Norway will go through in first, and then uh, New Zealand go through in second place out of the group. There we go. We've differed. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we For have. For the first time and uh, probably the last time. Yes, I would suggest so. <laughs> I would suggest so. <laughs> Um, but, the, but, yes. but the brackets that, could be a different thing altogether, right? That they might be. That they mm. might very well be. And interestingly, second place for you, the Kiwis. For me, the Philippines will be up against most likely Spain in the round of 16, barring a big uh, upset on uh, in Group C. So yep. uh, we'll see how that one pans out on our bracket preview uh, just before the tournament kicks off. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, agreed. Agreed. Either way, it doesn't look good for the second place side, but that's... Hey, I'll tell you what, if you, if you come first in this group, yes, you might... Dodge Spain and get Japan mm-hmm. in the round of sixteen. But if you manage to get past Japan, you've met I was with the say, US. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Japan isn't, you know, <laughs> Japan's yeah. not to be sneezed at either, right? No, definitely not. Definitely so, not. Yeah. Look, if I'm being honest, I think Spain deals with whoever comes out of second in this group. Correct. That's if what it I is think. to be Spain. And I think Japan also gets past whoever wins the group. I'm expecting both teams from Group C to get to the quarters. To get through. Yep. That's fair enough. But uh, that's a bit of a spoiler for our bracket preview. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but for now, but for now, Les, we've reached the end of our preview for Group A, Episode uh-huh. Four of Making Waves. Thank you for making it uh, as good as it can be, and uh, thank you to Anna Green for coming on the show, and thank you to everyone who's checked out this pod and all the others. Uh, we love each and every one of you and the feedback that uh, you provide to us, and, and we look forward to everyone joining us for our Group B preview, where we'll go through the opposing teams of the Matildas uh, in detail and have an in-depth look at the Matildas with guests and further predictions, and then we'll see how we go from there, Nathan. Looking forward to it. Speak to you guys soon. Take care, all.